We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. If you haven't already had the chance to do so, would you take your Bibles and join me in turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, as we continue our series, Our Great and Glorious Hope. We have been walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians together, and we will continue that journey together today. And as you're taking just another moment to find that Bible passage, we're going to jump right into it today. And one of the ways I think we can highlight um, the importance of this subject is just to talk about how terms have changed over the course of the years. Some of you know vocabulary now that you did not know five or ten years ago. Some of you hear expressions being used now that you would have needed, needed a dictionary to look up. Some of the terms that are being used now were not even in existence a couple of decades ago. And I would tell you that it's not accidental that some of the terms that we are using, especially when it comes to sexuality, are on purpose to try to muddy the waters of our understanding that the Bible has absolute clear, clear, distinct commands on how our lives are to be lived pure and sexually. So let's just look for a moment at, at some of these terms. The first term that I picked was a term that I had never used in my life, and the term is cisgendered. Cisgendered. What is that? That's if you're a boy, you think you're a boy. And if you're a girl, you think you're a girl. In that novel, we had to come up with a term for that. Transgendered. We used to call that perverts. Or transvestites. But we've tried to become politically more correct. Sexually active, that's a term that we use in talking about people. We used to call them living in sin. The other day I'm on the radio, listening to the radio, driving down the road, and they used a term that horrified me. We had a, a word for this my entire life, but they've changed it. The word that they used was minor attracted. That's a pedophile, people. That's an immoral, vulgar, horrendous sin. And you can see just in the way that we have changed the vocabulary regarding sexuality that we live in a warped and disgusting culture as far as the views on sex and human sexuality. I'm thankful that God did not leave us in the dark on those things. In fact, when we turn our Bibles open to Thessalonians, it's interesting because sometimes we are tempted to think that we live in the most perverse culture that's ever existed. But the truth of the matter is the Greco-Roman culture was even more sexually perverse than ours is today. Adultery was normal. In fact, adultery was expected. Homosexuality was rampant. Pedophilia was allowed. Transvestism was there. Prostitution was practiced in so many different ways that there were even temples where part of worship experiences were engaging in the services of a prostitute. 
And yet all of these things were done as part of a Greco-Roman culture without shame or without guilt. Now, I want you to imagine that someone in Thessalonica gets saved and they get saved out of that environment. It's not all that different than if someone gets saved today out of the environment that we live in. And one of the things that Paul had to make clear is that when there's a radical break in your life from your old self to your new self, when you have become brand new and washed clean in Christ, that the old habits and the old ways and the old things that characterize your life are not to be the things that characterize your life here and now. So he's writing to the Thessalon those in, Thessalon in Thessalonica to try to tell them that he wants them to understand that now your life should have a very different lifestyle than what you see all the way around you. And I think we know today that that is exactly what God is calling on the church to be. Different on purpose, holy, sanctified. So our big idea that's going to drive us as we read in just a moment is to be sanctified by avoiding sexual immorality. Let's stand together as Paul explores this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we begin in verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust, just like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. God, we pray today that you would teach us to be sanctified by avoiding sexual immorality. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Before we can move any farther, we've got to define a term biblically. When we say sexual immorality, what are we talking about? Um, it's essential that we define this. So this is how scripturally, biblically, you define sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is any sexual acts deviating from the monogamous relationship between a husband and a wife. Let me say that again. Sexual immorality. Sexual acts deviating from the monogamous relationship between the husband and wife. So as we talk about this, there is a temptation sometimes just to think about the LGBTQ plus community. But we want to be sure that we understand that sexual immorality exists inside heterosexual relationships and is rampant inside the church. And we're going to talk about those issues as we walk through this today. Now, I want you to know, I know that there are kids in the room and there are children in the room. And I'm thankful that they are here. We are going to keep this as PG as possible as we walk through this. 
But as I tell you that, I've got to warn you, I'm unapologetic in bringing up this subject matter because if we don't, we leave it to the world to bring up this subject matter. We leave it to everyone else to define this. And it seems odd to me that the church be the only place that's not allowed to address it when the church is the only holy place to address it. And if we as church members, if we as church family, as we as Christian parents aren't having these conversations, then I can tell you that the world is going to define that for our children and our kids. So that being said, I'm asking you to listen with open ears this morning as we delve into the Word of God. You see that Paul has called them in the first two verses quite simply to keep pressing on, to keep moving on. Even though they're doing well spiritually, don't stop there. And so he brings up a specific issue. Now, whether or not they were whether or not we know that they had specific issues with this that were horrendous, I don't know. But what we do know is that Paul knew their culture well enough to know it was going to be a struggle. There were going to be temptations. And when normal in the rest of the world becomes normal in the church and the church starts looking like the world, then the church ceases to become the church. It ceases to have influence. So for Paul, this was a huge issue. And it jumps right off the page as we see that the Greco Roman world and United States in 2022 and in the Western world we live in resemble each other so much. And so Paul gives us some very practical tips on how to be sanctified, how to be sanctified and avoid sexual immorality. Number one, he says, practice self-control. Practice self-control. It is God's will. I, I would love to spend an entire sermon on that phrase. It is God's will. I am a little frustrated and aggravated with how people are always talking about that they can't figure out God's will. I just don't know God's will for my life. I can't discover God's will for my life. That's blasphemy. The Lord has given you His will. In fact, one of the things we ought to turn to is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you be sanctified. If you're wondering what God's will for your life is, it's that you should give your life to Christ and then you should be sanctified, which is the process of becoming more and more like Christ. That's God's will for your life. And when we understand sanctification and what that means about be looking and searching and, and asking God to enable us to become more holy. And so when we, we pray through that, we see that there is a specific aspect of sanctification that Paul is talking about in this text. And it is sexual immorality. He puts his big idea out there. Do you see the colon? And then I've there's a colon there. And it says that each of you should avoid sexual immorality. We've already found that. Define that. In Matthew 5, 29, Jesus says what? If your eye causes you to sin, you should pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, you should cut it off. What is Jesus' point there? His point is that sin is serious and that you ought to do everything you can to eradicate the sin out of your life and do whatever it takes so that that can happen. It's just like today, there are so many people that either don't understand their weaknesses or they know exactly what their weaknesses are and they embrace those weaknesses. It is a culture that we live in that is no different from the Greco-Roman culture in that people now operate according to their physical appetites, their emotions, and their impulses. If it feels good, do it. 
pleasure becomes God. Hedonism is the order of the day where pleasure becomes king. It is the Freudian takeover of the world when people say that the need for your sexual expression should trump everything else in life. And if you aren't feeling fulfilled sexually, then it is obviously you are repressed and that you should do whatever feels good to you and express that in whatever way possible. And is it any wonder that as we look around in the moral abyss, not just in the world, but in the church, much of the issues that we see are because of sexual sin. Sexual sin is at the root. That's why Paul didn't just say be sanctified and leave it alone. He said, let's talk about an area that's really important that you can't be sanctified unless this area of your life is sanctified. Now, what I have found, and it's not just with young people, um, used to in, in talking to youth groups or disciple nows or camps, I, we would always bring this out. But, but I've learned that, that I think adults struggle with this more than, more than kids do. And we start asking really dumb questions. Some people say, well, there are no stupid questions. There are some stupid questions. And let me give you one. Well, how far can I go? How far can I go and it not be sin? How much can I look at and it not be porn? How many sexual activities can we engage in if it's not full intercourse and, and it not be wrong? Is it okay if I look but I don't touch? How far can I let my mind go before I've allowed it to go too far? Some of you are thinking, what's wrong with those questions? They're the wrong questions. Let me give you better questions. This is a better question. What should I do to live a life that honors God? When you reframe the question, all of a sudden it starts, it quits being about what can I get away with? It quits being about legalism and it starts being about a heart issue of why is it that I'm wanting to do some of the things that I'm wanting to do anyway? But I recognize, and, and, and I want to I wanna be sure that we note this. We are a culture that is overexposed. We are overexposed at every single juncture we're overexposed. It's all that music talks about. It's even cable television, pornography. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. Completely rampant. Everything about our culture is so sexually charged that it is understandable why we struggle. And I think sometimes the church's response is either we just put our head in the sand and act like it's not happening, which is ignorant and foolish, or we just become like everybody else and justify it. Neither of those is an acceptable response. So when Paul says that we are to be, that we should be sanctified and avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body or vessel in a way that is holy and honorable. There have been some commentators over the years that 
and even some translations that when it says control your own body, that, that's been translated vessel, which some people have, have used or, or said actually means wife, that you ought to control your own wife. And some people have used that to say that, that all, of, all of your sexual energy should be poured into your wife. Well, we could talk about that, but that's not what this passage says or means. This passage means that you're responsible for your life and your body. And so because of that, you have a responsibility to practice self-control over it. And so when we think about that, I want to talk real quickly because we don't have a lot of time to cover a lot of information today. I want to give you just some very practical. Ray Pritchard has given some very practical things that, that, that ought to help us in this area. Number one, know your limits. Know your limits. Some of you know you're doing things you shouldn't be doing before you ever go, before you ever get into it, before you ever watch it, before you ever click on it. Sometimes you're with people and you know that if I don't set limits and know before I go into it, it's going to go south. This isn't just young people. This is anybody. I'm 43 years old. And I used to think that 43 was so old. So old that this wouldn't even be an issue. When this quits being an issue is normally when you're put in the ground. you got to know your limits. And when I say limits... Don't act like when you get in a situation and then you sin before a holy God that, you were, that there was no way out. Most of, the reason, most of the way out was not ever being in the situation or the circumstance in the first place. Ray Pritchard says we got to know our limits. Number two, number two, stay out of questionable areas. Now, isn't that absolutely ingenious? I thought he just wanted to talk. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. If you stay out of places that extramarital sex happens, there's a lower chance you'll have extramarital sex. You know that? If you stay off of programming and off of computers in places where you know it's a problem, stay out of questionable areas. Number three, don't fight the battle alone. That's why we need Christian friends. That's why we need accountability. We need people to do it along with us to help us and to encourage us. Number four, don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. You're not just defeated. You're disobedient. A lot of people just say, well, I just couldn't help it. Number five, be honest about your problem. Be honest about your problem. Number six, Trace the cycle of lust in your life. Trace the cycle of lust in your life. Most of the time, there is patterns. There are patterns that are there. If you look biblically, if you trace the life of David when he fell in sin with Bathsheba, and you look at the life of Samson, controlled by lust for much of his life, and then you contrast that with the life of Joseph, who runs out of the house of Potiphar, you begin to see that there are ways to handle these things in ways not too biblically. And so we look inside our lives and we recognize that, that we need to not only trace the cycle of lust in our life, but we need to set about better patterns in our life and then finally we remember who we are remember who you are you are a child of God 
And because you're a child of God, we sang today that we thank God the Father for sending His Son Jesus. We thank Jesus for being our Redeemer. And we thank for the Holy Spirit for not leaving us alone. You're a child of God, which means that you have the power of God inside of you and that we are able, that no temptation which is common to man is going to come at you that God is not going to equip you to be able to stand up to. Now, let's get back to an excuse I brought up earlier. We hear this all the time. People say, well, I just can't help it. I can't control my thought life. I can't control what happens. Sometimes I, my, my sexual appetites, they just get the best of me. And this is whether it's homosexual sin, heterosexual sin, pornography, whatever it may be. Well, I want you to think about for just a moment that excuse. Now, this is a strange example. But let's say that you've decided that there's nothing you can do about it, and you have decided just to succumb to that perversion to engage in that sexual act, in that sexual sin. And right as you are in that moment where you couldn't help it, somebody came in, just came in and said, listen, I want to ask you something. If I gave you $100,000, would you stop what you're doing right now? For $100,000, would you stop what you're doing right now? Most people would say, well, sure, sure, pay up. Well, if $100,000 could stop you from that sexual act, what it means is that you could help it. You just didn't have a good enough goal to keep you from it. So what we need is to have a great and glorious goal, not just to quit, to quit something else, but to have our goal be in the person and the work of Christ. Now, I told you we were going to come back to the subject of pornography. What a horrific horrific plague this is on culture. It is so pervasive, the statistics show that it brings in more than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. It is addictive. It is devastating. It produces unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. It causes emotional problems. It is hurtful. And yes, it is perverse. If you are looking at pornography. Your heart and your mind are warped. You are in a lifestyle of habitual, wanton sin. God needs to change your heart. You need to repent of that sin and come before the Lord. It is something that is completely captivating, and unless you make a break from that, you may be headed for destruction. Not only in your marital life, but there is no way that your spiritual life is going to grow when you have rotted your soul with the images of porn. Practice self-control. Number two, consider how your sin affects others. Look at verse six. And in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. What does it mean to take advantage of someone in this context of sexual immorality? It's not just talking about rape here. Anytime we entertain thoughts, lustful thoughts, we have taken advantage of someone, someone else sexually. Who is that person? When you engage in sex outside of marriage, 
heterosexual sex, homosexual sex, whether by thought or by action, the person that you have engaged in that with is a child of God. They are a daughter of a father. They are a wife or a husband of a future spouse. And when he says, consider how our sin affects other people, that we can't engage in this alone because we are causing other people to stumble in the midst of it. Either we are wronging our future spouse, someone else's future spouse, we are wronging people in such a way because we have believed the lie that there is such a thing as casual sex and there absolutely is not. Sex is a gift of God, made of God, gifted to the people of God and it should be celebrated by the people of God inside the confines of the way God made it to be. Consider how our sin affects others. And then number three, number three, consider your motivations. Consider your motivations. At the end of verse 6, look what he says. The Lord will punish men for such sins as we have already told you and warned you. Obviously, Paul, when he was there in the flesh, preached some other sermons on this. I've already told you about this, and I've already warned you about this. God's judgment. Now, there are earthly consequences, and there are eternal consequences. We could spend all of our time talking about the earthly consequences of STDs. We could spend our time talking about the earthly consequences of broken relationships. You could spend a lot of time on those earthly consequences. But I want you to know that the eternal consequences are the ones that I think I want to spend just a, a few extra moments on. Now, are you saying that if someone commits a sexual sin that there is no way that they can get to heaven. Absolutely not. But what I am saying is, is that if you live a lifestyle of being habitually involved in sexual sin, you are lost. That is true. of When we talk about homosexuality and is homosexuality a sin, yes, it's a sin. It's not a sin that can't be forgiven. You've got to repent of that lifestyle and you've got to give your life to Christ. But let's talk about heterosexuality. There's a lot of people that think that because they're heterosexuals that somehow they're definitely going to make it to heaven. No. There are immoral heterosexuals that are living outside of God's will. And if that is a pattern of your life, Jesus says that a tree produces fruit. And if you are producing the type of fruit that continually and pervasively engages in sexual immorality, that is an evidence of the fact that you are lost and eternally you will be damned to hell. It's serious. But for believers that struggle with it, we need to know that, that it's not that you're not going to get to heaven, but it's that there are rewards that we are sacrificing because there's no way to maintain our witness and the purity of our lives and to really experience what God has for us as long as we are in this. You see it destroying families all of the time, back to the earthly consequences. But you also see God's judgment so often in the lives of young people. I've been doing this long enough that, that you can see it in young people when they become hardened and, and they, they pull away and, and they're, they're not engaged and they're not interested in the things of God that once were important to them, all of a sudden they are not. Now, it's not that every time that happens, there's sexual sin in their lives, but much of the time that is the reason. 
And so because of that, they pull away from God because anytime you're involved in sexual sin or any other sin, you can't keep growing in the Lord until you repent of that. Well, if you love your sin more than you love your God, you won't repent of it. And that's true not just with young people, but that's true across the board. It's God's judgment. We also should consider the motivation of God's honor. Look at verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live holy lives. That is a life that is consistent with the gospel. It is a life that does not just flee evil, though we should, like Joseph. It is a life that not only flees evil, but a life that pursues holiness. So God's purpose, verse 7, and then look at verse 8. He who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. God's honor. God's honor. To reject this command, he says, is to reject God, to reject the Holy Spirit. There are people that will hear this sermon. And they'll be convicted by this sermon. But they will ignore it. If I can just get out of here. If I can just get out of here and he will shut up. It's bothering me right now, but if I can get to Monday or Tuesday, I think I'll be okay. I don't need his judgmental self getting on me about this. Just get me out the doors. This is the Word of God. And if you're convicted and don't change your life, you have placed yourself in grave danger. Some of you are convicted right now because you want to get saved, but you'd rather hold on to your sexual sin than you had to give your life to Christ. That's a terrible trade-off. a terrible trade-off so we don't wait to make the break with sin some of you may say well mine's not that bad if you're flirting with somebody that's not your wife stop if you're watching porn quit some of you need to break up with people because your whole marriage is based on sex and you need to get out of it because you're not married to them and you need to start honoring the Lord with your life some of you are living with people that are not your wife or your husband. If you are cohabitating, you are living in sin. You need to repent of that and either get married or get out of that home. Some of us are engaging in watching things that are inappropriate for our eyes to see. Television, entertainment, we need to stop. But before I move any further, because I have virtually no time left, I need to tell you this. The church needs to tell you this because the Bible tells you this. Sex is not wrong. I think far too often people have run away from the church and say, oh, that church hates sex. If you're a guest with us today, this is a church that loves sex. Some of you just got real uncomfortable. We are the only ones that own what God designed it to be. And yet we back away from it as if we have something to apologize when we're the only people in the world who have something to celebrate. And it's any wonder that young people look out and say, well, it must be only lost people that are having fun. And I came across a study recently 
I want to study, show, just share this with you. Three universities launched the most authoritative study on sexuality ever conducted. Do you know what they found? Of all sexually active people, there's that term, of all sexually active people, the most physically pleased and emotionally satisfied are married couples. You hearing that anywhere? So not only do we love sex, we have the best sex. If you weren't weirded out before, you are really weirded out now. Some of you are going to shake my hand and say, it was nice having you as our pastor. We love you. I hope you enjoy the next spot. That's, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says sex is like a fire. In the fireplace, it keeps us warm. But outside the fireplace, it'll burn your house down. Maybe it is that you've struggled and failed time and time again. Don't give up now. Fighting lust is about feeding faith with the knowledge of a glorious God. There is grace. There is the power, empowerment of the Holy Spirit. There's a line from an old hymn that just kept playing in my mind over and over again as I was preparing this sermon. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Some of you are a sex slave. Not in the traditional use of the term, but your immorality has so warped your mind and your heart that nothing else good can come if you don't repent. You don't change your heart and your life. He breaks the power of canceled sin. Now, before your objection, let me answer what I think is the final objection. This is my life and my body. I'll do with it what I please. I don't even appreciate you talking about this because this really isn't any of your business. Okay. First of all, I try to be careful when I'm driving. But if I borrow somebody else's car, I'm really careful. Because I certainly don't want to bang it up or have a wreck in it. I'm really, really careful if I'm borrowing something from someone else. The Bible says that your life is not your own. That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not your life. It's not your body. It's owned by God. The question is, are you being a good steward? Are you using your vessel as a vessel for immorality and lust and self-pleasure? Or are you someone who says, this is the one opportunity I've got to glorify God in every aspect of my life? We're going to come to a time of invitation. And this is one of these invitations that sometimes it's weird. Because when we start singing, there are going to be a bunch of people that think, if I come down, people might think I've got some real weird problems. First of all, and this is true of every invitation, quit worrying about everybody else and start worrying about you and God. Everybody else is not going to be who gets you into heaven. Secondly, maybe it is that you do need to be saved. 
Maybe you've been running from the Lord for a long time, maybe because of some of the issues that we've talked about. I promise you his abundant life is better than your perversion. It really is. So maybe you'd like to silently just kind of slip out the back. We have ministers who are going to be standing outside. They'd love to have a conversation with you, whether that be about a life with Christ, whether that be about church membership. May that be that you just be real and honest, whether it's where you are at this altar, to say, oh, God, I need your help. Oh, God, I need your help. I've got to get real, and I've got to confront this. We're a church that desires to be holy, and we're a church that desires to be sanctified. So there's a calling on our lives. The question is, will we be a people who answers the call? Will you stand with us? Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.